So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that we can gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. Donna, did you hit the button on the thing? Thank you. We're so thankful for your word that we can trust you in all things. We ask you to bless this evening that everything that's said and done will bring you glory and honor. We just give you praise and honor. We thank you for your goodness and for your love. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who lives within us, the guide to direct us into all truth. We thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you came and gave your life for us so that we might truly be a witness for you. We ask you tonight to minister to each of our hearts and our minds that we might grow in our knowledge and understanding of you. And Lord, we want you to receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been uh, um, doing a series uh, for some time now, and uh, it's... Uh, on the believer's authority and make sure you get two sheets. There's two sheets to the notes. The one is the notes and the other one is the questions. But we've been talking about the believer's authority and when we, when we talk about the believer's authority and uh, I think a lot of times, you know, we look at it from the standpoint of, you know, spiritual warfare and all of those sorts of things. And of course, that's, that's part of it, but the last few weeks before we had our break, we've been talking about, you know, our position, yeah, the spiritual authority that we have to be a witness uh, for God and for everything that he's done for us and on our behalf. And so um, tonight I want to talk with you about um, praying for the lost, you know, because I believe that we have a lot of uh, responsibility as believers uh, we, have, we have the responsibility uh, to our families and so forth. But, you know, ultimately, the number one responsibility that we have is to see to it the gospel of Jesus Christ is spread throughout the world. And I think when we're, we're talking about praying for believers, um, I mean, I've heard it. I'm sure you've probably heard it as well. I've heard people in their prayer life when they're praying for believers that they're uh, commanding them into the kingdom and so forth. Well, the problem is, is every single individual has their free will. And so our will can never override somebody else's will because if that were the case, that would be witchcraft. That would be manipulation. And of course, we don't have that. But the Bible does say that we're to pray for the lost. And so we need to know how to pray for the lost so that it'll be effective. You know, it's not to be a prayer like, you know, the Miss America, you know. You know, we just want everybody to live in peace. We just want everybody to be saved. Well, that's a little bit too general. Uh, we do want everybody to be saved. You know, but having spiritual authority means that we can enter in and we can effectively operate in prayer so that we're going to uh, gain results with people. Um, and so that's what we want to talk about tonight. You know, we've talked a lot about the harvest, planting the harvest and so forth. But you know, <clears throat> the interesting thing is, you can water a field. You can make certain that that field has plenty of water. But the seed has, if the seed hasn't been sown, it isn't going to produce anything. You know, and that's what we need to see, you know, because faith only comes in one way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so ultimately, along the way, somewhere, for somebody to be saved, they have to hear the word of God because it's the only way that faith comes in an individual's life. You know, in Romans 10, where it talks about faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God, you know, prior to that, it's talking about how shall they uh, believe unless they hear? How shall they hear unless they be a preacher? How shall they preach unless they be sent? And then it goes on and it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so <clears throat> for there to be an effective harvest, and we're talking about a harvest of souls, um, there has to be the seed that's being planted. And of course, that seed has to be watered. That seed has to be nurtured and so forth. And so that's some of what we're talking about here tonight. But, you know, in the end, getting, <clears throat> getting the end at the beginning, 
Um, but one of the things that we need to realize is that if we're going to pray, we're going to be believing for the lost. You know, I heard, I, I don't remember who it was that made the statement. It was one of our old-time preachers. But he made the statement that <clears throat> if we're going to pray, we need to be willing to, lay, to, to give legs to it. In other words, if we're praying about an individual and about a particular thing, you know, don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you that you're supposed to do something about it. Now, our prayer life uh, isn't based on a hoping, hoping and a praying, hoping and a wishing, maybe you should put it that way. Our prayer life is based upon truth, upon what we know. You know, we talk about it when we talk about healing. Uh, we can pray for healing because we know that it's his will to heal. Jesus Christ of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And so as a result of that, we have no limitation upon us to pray for the sick to be healed because we know that that's, that's God's will. Well, in the same respect, we need to know that it's God's will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Uh, because even though we may be rejected by somebody that we share the gospel with, that doesn't change the fact that it's still God's will for that individual to be, to be saved. You know, because each and every one of us is a free will agent. We can, we can choose to go to hell if we want to. I happen to think we're pretty foolish if we do. But, you know, as a free will agent, we have that prerogative. We can choose that if we want to. Every individual has that choice. Now, I believe that anybody in who's sane is always going to choose salvation, is always going to choose eternal life. But the thing that we have to realize, I don't know if you realize this about yourself or not, I realize it about myself, you know, people talk about Christians being crazy. I became a Christian and finally found, sanity, uh, found sanity. You know, because it's insane to put poison in your body, put stuff in your body that causes you to regurgitate and all kinds of stupid things like that. It's, it's insane to do things that you don't know what you did the night before the following day. And that, that's... That's insane. It's insane to freely do stuff that brings destruction to your life and the life of those around you. But that's what happens in the life of the unbeliever. And they say, we're nuts. No, what happened was I found Jesus and finally found what sanity truly was. And so what we need to understand is People may reject you and the truth that you bring. But you just got to know within yourself, they don't really know what they're rejecting. Because if they truly knew the truth, they would choose the truth. They would choose life. They would choose abundance. You know, in John 3, 16, it's in your notes, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, that's one of the key phrases in that, that whole verse, that whosoever, whosoever will, whoever shall believe, should believe, should not perish, but have everlasting life. But notice, it's, it's for the whosoever. And that means it's not not everybody is included in that because not everybody will choose to believe. And so we've got to make sure that we're so totally convinced within ourselves uh, that, it, that the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but he all wants, wants all to come to repentance, to turn to him and enjoy a, eternal life. You know, because really that's what repentance is. Repentance is turning from our, new, our old life to a new life. You know, <clears throat> I know one of, one of the de big debates, I don't get into the debate because I don't care. You know, but 
do, do you really have to confess every one of your sins? Let me tell you something. If I had to confess every one of my sins, I would be in trouble. Because I am sure that I would forget one along the way. And to be totally honest about it, I'd probably forget about and overlook one that I committed today. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You all know what I'm talking about. You know, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it isn't about confessing our sin because, you know, I, I know what it says in John, uh, uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us sins, cleanse small and righteousness. I confessed my sin. My sin was that for 24 years of my life, I had rejected Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I didn't outwardly do that. I just simply hadn't received him as my Lord and Savior. In that moment that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my sin issue was dealt with. My sins were forgiven past, present, and future. And so really, confession of sin, that's not the issue. Because I think people confuse confession of sins with repentance. Because confession of sins and repentance of sin are two totally different things. I can repent of my sin. What some people say is you tell God you're sorry. Repentance is not about telling God you're sorry. Repentance is turning from it and going in a whole new direction. And so it's not about, and the reason I don't have an issue with it is, you know, if you want to call it confession, you want to you do whatever you want. I acknowledge when I screw up. I acknowledge when I miss the mark. Because how do I repent? How do I turn from that if I don't acknowledge it? But I don't acknowledge it so that God will forgive me because he's already forgiven me. I acknowledge it for my benefit. Because if I don't acknowledge it, if I don't recognize it, I'll never turn from it. You know, you, you, it's, it's, it's the first issue in any program that deals with addiction. The first thing that any person that has an, an addiction problem has to do is acknowledge that they have a problem. Because as long as they refuse to acknowledge it, they'll never deal with it. And that's how it is for us in every area of our life. Until we acknowledge it, we'll never deal with it. Now, you know, I, I wasn't a drunk. I was just a social drinker. Then why did I get so drunk? If I was just a social drinker. Because it wasn't, had absolutely nothing to do with social. <laughs> it had everything to do with that liquid that I was putting in my body. And that's how it is. Until we acknowledge that we have an issue, a problem, we'll never deal with it and we'll never turn from it. And so we've got to be convinced that it's God's will for all to be saved. Why? Because God so loved the world that he sent Jesus that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the point then is for them to repent, for them to turn from their old life to a new life. We see this in 2 Peter 3.9. And it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does he want everybody to come to? Repentance. Turning from their old life to live the new life. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why hasn't he returned for the church? Because he's long-suffering. Long-suffering and suffering long are two different things. You know, a lot of people are suffering long and they call it long-suffering, but it's not. Long-suffering is patient. He's patient, he's long-suffering because he wants as many as possible to come to repentance. He desires that none would perish. You know, and so until, and I have a feeling we're very close to that, until we get to the point where the world is in the same context as in the days of Noah, 
where their every thought was evil continually, there's still hope. You know, I believe there's a point where people can be so um, obnoxious in their rejection to the Holy Spirit that he no longer has a voice in their life. And uh, it doesn't matter what anybody says, what anybody does, it isn't going to influence, it isn't going to impact them. And it's not because God has chosen to reject them. It's just that they have chosen to reject God to such a degree that they're so hard that nothing can penetrate that shell that they put up around them. But until that point, as long as there's one individual that's still willing to hear and receive the good news that has the potential of repentance, I believe that God is going to continue to be long-suffering because he desires none to perish, that all would come to repentance. And, and so really, <clears throat> this is incentive for us. You know, because if God is long-suffering and he's not going to send Jesus back until every last individual has the opportunity to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, that ought to be incentive for us to share with those around us so that we can, we can get out of here and so that Jesus can come back. Roman numeral, not Roman numeral, capital letter B and Roman numeral two, it says, in light of this, you could start thinking God's, thanking God saying, Father, I thank you that you love this person. Remember what we're talking about tonight? We're talking about praying for the lost. You know, I think one of the things that oftentimes we've done is, not us, but the church at large, has done has been real quick to, to judge and condemn rather than recognize that oftentimes those that we are judging are condemned are the condemning are the very ones that Jesus came for. Yeah, I remember years back I heard this preacher um, um, can't think of his name right now but I heard him up in Minneapolis and <clears throat> This guy had been a uh, drug addict, alcoholic, uh, practicing homosexual. And his, his life had spiraled so down that, as he puts it, I was in a mental institution. And one day I was in a mental institution in the shower, curled up in the fetal position. And God came along and he looked down and he says, now there's somebody I can use. And he got hooked up with Norval Hayes. Norval just went home to be with the Lord not just a couple months ago. And uh, uh, what Willie George used to say about Norval Hayes is Norval just ain't normal. And, uh, but I mean, he did a lot of deliverance and that sort of thing. Anyway, he took um, Mike Williams, is his name, under his wing and began to minister to him and disciple to him. And... Uh, uh, put him in his school, and got delivered from alcohol, drugs, homosexuality. When I saw him, this would have been 25 years ago at that time. Uh, he was totally free, preaching the gospel, married uh, to a woman, and had uh, two daughters in their teens at the time. Totally set free uh, because of the work of Jesus in their life. And so... Uh, Anyway, he was talking about after he got saved and delivered and so forth, one day he was driving through this city. And uh, it, it would have been like old Washington Avenue up in Minneapolis years and years back, which was basically Skid Row at that time. And he says, I was driving down Skid Row and in, in the gutters on both sides of the road were, were the alcoholics and the, the drug addicts just sprout out in the street. And he says, I drove along there and I just shook my head and I just was thinking, what a, what a pathetic example of humanity. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke up in his heart, and he says, yeah. He says, you know, most people that are in that condition are in that condition because they're running from me. 
And he said, then the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. And as he was driving along, and he says, yeah, that could have been another Billy Graham. That could have been another Billy Sunday. That could have been another Oral Roberts. That could have been whatever your preacher, favorite preacher might be. You know, that could have been them, but they ran from the gospel. And you know what? <clears throat> I think most people that are running from the gospel, you know, because, and this is where the insanity kicks in, is sin is progressive. Um, sin is never just a little bit. Whatever it is that we deal with in our life, it, it's progressive. If we don't move towards God, we'll always be drawn further and further away from, from God. So it's, so it's progressive. And when it, with that being progressive, what happens is, is we, begin to, we begin to harden. And so... <clears throat> Talking about prayer, and, and through this study, I want to give you some examples, and if we don't get it all tonight, you can go back and read through it again, and, and not to copy the prayers, but to look at them as an example as, of how we can pray for the lost. And so, you know, rather, you know, than like Mike Williams looking at these individuals and seeing them as a pathetic example of humanity, which... I dare to say probably all of, us, all of us have done from one time or another concerning something that we saw. But it, and especially when we begin to think about individuals. And so rather than judging, we can say something like this. Father, I thank you that you love this person so much that you gave your only begotten son for them. See, that's why the word of God is so important. You know, not only did he love me so much, but he loves that person so much that he sent his only begotten son. It's not your will for them to perish, but to come to repentance and, and turn to you. I thank you, Lord, that you've always provided, that you've already provided for their salvation. He has provided for their salvation. He's provided the word of God. You know, <clears throat> Statistics show that most individuals, before they ultimately receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as an adult, they've probably had the gospel presented. To, I don't remember the exact statistic. I haven't seen it for a while. But I believe, if I remember correctly, it's something like four or five times, at least, that an individual hears the presentation of the gospel. And I'd venture, if you venture to guess, if you're like me, you can probably look back and you can probably very easily come up with four or five times where you heard the gospel and just rejected it. And probably like me, you can even remember sometimes where there was a conviction that went along with it and you stifled it. I remember a senior in high school, buddy of mine, we were in Worthington, Minnesota, and we were didn't have anything to do, so he decided we'd go to the movie and found out it was a free movie. Should have been a clue right there. You know, so he went to the movie and it was a Billy Graham film. And, uh, and so we, we sat through that movie and at the end of it, some fanatic gets up and, you know, gives an invitation to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, I'll be honest with you. I felt a conviction. I felt something, but I'm there with my, my buddy. I mean, I look like a sissy. And so guess what? Walked out the door, and it wasn't until six years later, seven years later, that I received Christ. But I, I, I remember it to this day. I remember the conviction. Remember when we lived in Truman, Minnesota? That was shortly before we... Moved down here the first time before I received Christ. Remember an old Baptist preacher coming to our door and trying to witness to him and thought, who does he think he is? What does a Baptist think he's doing coming to a Lutern's door? You know, rejected it before he had anything to say. You know, and so we hear it. Individuals hear it. And so just because you share it with somebody and they, they reject you. Don't, don't give up. Don't say, well, I guess I'm just not called to do this. 
No, you're called to continue on because each and every one of us, if we've ever shared with somebody, we've been rejected by somebody. If we haven't, we haven't shared very much. Now we won't go there. 1 John 2, 2 it says, And he himself, he himself, you know what that means? That means he and nobody else. And he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation of our sins, <clears throat> but not only ours, but the whole world. Isn't that interesting that he wants to emphasize that? Because you know what? <clears throat> I don't know about you. It's really easy for me to be thankful that Jesus loved me so much that he gave his life for me that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. But you know, <clears throat> that's too small. That's too narrow. He not only did it for me, but he did it for the world, for the whole world, that they might hear the truth and that they might come to the truth. And so then our prayer can continue and it says, Father, I thank you that you've already made provision, Jesus. You are the uh, uh, atoning sacrifice for everyone's sins, not only for those who believe, but also for those who are lost. So Father, I thank you that you want them saved and you've already provided for it. Think about it. It's not something more that has to be done. It's already been done. It's already been accomplished for not only you and me, but for, for everybody out there. He's paid the price for every man, woman, and child. The provision has already been provided. But you know, it's like so much of provision. It needs an avenue. It needs a vessel. You know, the, the old Pentecostals used to talk about <clears throat> how we were channels for the flow of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, New Age got a hold of channeling. And so we're afraid to use that terminology anymore because somebody will think we're a New Ager. But no, what it means is we're a channel. We're, in that, we're an avenue for the Holy Spirit for the word of God to flow through, to reach out and to touch the lives of others. That's what, we're, that's what we're really here for. Then we can take authority and start speaking out things that need to happen. You see, before we can begin to speak what needs to happen, we've got to know what already has been done. We've got to know that the provision has already been provided for it's just like healing. For healing to manifest in my body, I don't go around saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick when I'm sick. I declare that which be not as though it be. I be sick. Amen. So I declare that which be not as though it be. And what I be not, I be not healed. And so I begin to declare that by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. And what I'm doing, when I'm doing that, I'm exerting, I'm using the authority that I have in the name of Jesus. And I'm able to do it because I already know what the will of God is. The will of God is for me to be whole. By the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. And so the same thing is true when we begin to pray for the lost. First of all, we've got to know what the will of God is. The will of God is spelled out in his word as clearly as anything can be spelled out that it's his will for all to be saved, for all to come to repentance, that God loved us so much, the world so much, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but they can't believe without hearing. So that's where our responsibility comes in. But Roman numeral three, it says, then you can take your authority and start speaking out things that need to happen. Father, your word says that faith comes by hearing your word. So I'm praying that your word will, will come across their path. 
You know, <clears throat> somewhere the word has to come into play. Somewhere the word has to come into play. You know, when I went through evangelism explosion some 40 years ago in Ankeny, Iowa, you know, one of the things that we had to do is we had to, you, well, you learned this outline. And the outline was, was your gospel presentation, starting in the book of Genesis and going all the way to Revelation. But it was, there was an outline that you would follow. And so, you know, you were to share your testimony with people. But, you know, just simply sharing your testimony isn't enough. Your testimony won't save anybody. It's the Word of God. And so that's why, you know, each and every one of us, we need to give thought to our testimony. And we give thought to it from the standpoint, not just of our experience, because we'll remember that. But how can I interject Scripture into my testimony? You know, the reason that I finally came to the realization that I needed Jesus as my Lord and Savior was because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then as I saw in the Word that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes should not perish. And then as they shared the Word of God with me and, you know, to make it short, we came to Romans. You know, we talk about the Roman road. But you end up in Romans 10 where it says, how shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they hear unless there be a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you heard that word. And because you hear that word, faith rises up on the inside of you. And once you have faith, faith demands an action. And that's when we begin to act upon it. That's when we do something about it. And so Romans 10, 17, it's in your notes. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. I ask that you would send forth laborers across your path. You know, it isn't, oh Lord, some way, somehow, get the word to them. No, we need to be specific. The Bible says that we're to, we're to pray a specific thing. We're to pray for laborers. And it says in Matthew 9, 37, Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. What does that mean? Oh, Father, send somebody to minister to that individual. <clears throat> but be careful with that. Because the one he sends may be you. Now, actually, I don't mean that. I mean rejoice in that because there's no greater honor that can be bestowed upon any of us than to have the opportunity to share the good news, the gospel with somebody. Well, you know, Pastor, I've shared with people, but I've never had anybody come to the point where they were willing to pray the prayer. Remember, it takes four or five times. And I'm not saying you're supposed to be the one doing it every time, but you know what? You, if you shared with somebody, you began to lay the groundwork. And so that's where you begin to believe, Father, that seed has been sown. Father, I just, I just water that seed and I pray that there will be other laborers that will come along and, and, and water and, and feed and, and add to that seed that's been planted in their life until they get to the point where they just absolutely cannot resist it any longer. Let me tell you something. If anybody ever sees a clear image of God and his love, he's irresistible. But maybe we need to review it and rehearse it in our own lives so that we begin to see him as irresistible. Because I think sometimes it, it begins to, it gets, begins to fade and we, we begin to wonder, Hmm. Is it really that important? Yeah, it is. You know, this morning, um, I usually don't watch it because 
I'm usually gone by this time, but I had the opportunity to. And, and so Rick Renner was on TV. And uh, Rick Renner was teaching out of, um, out of Corinthians, and he was talking about um, praying in tongues and the importance and the significance of praying in tongues. And, and I believe that our, our prayer language is extremely important. I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues is very important. But <clears throat> I don't know about you, there, there, there can be times where I, I think, is this really... This is really that important. Am I really accomplishing anything when I'm walking around? You know, you do it and, and you get in. Well, hallelujah. But then you go through and you, you listen to it again. And, you know, and because he, he went through the scriptures and he talked about the scriptures. And, and once again, you're reminded of how important this really is. And it, it isn't based on what I feel. It's based on what I know. And what I know is when I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, I'm praying secrets. I'm praying the will of God into manifestation. And so it happens. It, it encourages me. To pray in tongues all the more. Well, you know, the same thing is true concerning the, the scriptures, the principles, concerning salvation. Because when I, I don't know about you, when I begin to go through these scriptures, you know, I, I look, go all the way back to, you know, the first scripture we shared, uh, John 3.16. I think about how that was a scripture that awakened me concerning God's love. Where I hadn't had this idea that God was just this angry God that was upstairs just waiting for me to screw up so he could whack me a good one. You know, and then you see, you know, where it talks in First or Second Peter that he's, not, that he's not slack. And I think about, I am so thankful that he is patient with me. I should have known better. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up going to, to church. Even after we were married, I continued to go to church. We went to church every Sunday. <clears throat> you know, I was a elder in the church and I was just a heathen. You know, so I did all the, I did the work. I did the thing. I'm trying, I'm trying. Just a little bit of, what about Bob there? You know, you know, and been baby stepping, yeah. You know, and, and so, but see, I see that and it reminds me that God is patient with me. And if God was patient with me, shouldn't I be patient with those loving individuals out there that I just want to damn to hell? No, I'm just, just, you know, that's just me. I know you'd never think that. <clears throat> but see, shouldn't I be patient then? Shouldn't I be long-suffering with these individuals? However long it takes for the, to see them come into the kingdom, isn't it worth it? Of course it is. It's worth it. And then he, 1 John 2, 2, where it talks about he was the propitiation not just simply for my, for my sin, but the, for the sin of the whole world. And it took the word of God, Romans 10, 17, for me to be saved. How are they going to be saved if they don't have the opportunity to hear the word of God? And you know what? It took a labor. On the morning that I was born again, it took a labor who came to my house and said, come on, I want you to go for a ride with me. Took me to this individual's house, shared the gospel, and I got saved. But you know what? It took somebody to come to my house and say, go for a ride with me. I didn't know what kind of ride it was going to be. It was a ride of my life. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I haven't gotten off of it yet. But you know what? It took somebody. It took somebody to sit in front of me and give up their Saturday morning to share the gospel with me. It took a laborer. And so he says we're to pray for those laborers. And then it says, 
pray that the word they've already heard will come back to the remembrance. Why is that important? Remember, it takes four to five different times for somebody to hear the gospel for them to come to the truth. But think about it. You hear, and, and, and none of us share the same. But they begin, somebody begins to share and they think back, well, hmm, that's what that jerk told me two years ago. Comes back to their remembrance. You know, I don't know about you. I, you know, I, growing up in the church, I went through confirmation and everything and, you know, went through it and did what I had to do. You had to memorize the catechism and then, I mean, it was, it was cruel. Then you had to sit up in front of the congregation and get questioned. And for somebody that is so insecure anyway, afraid to get in front of people and feeling pretty stupid to begin with, you have to sit up in front with the other three that are being confirmed, all four of us, and answer questions for 45 minutes. That's, that's hell. But you know, it's an interesting thing. I got born again, and all of a sudden, all that scripture that I didn't pay any attention to when I was going through confirmation came to my remembrance. But you know what's interesting is you can't remember something you've never heard. You know, we, we had a solution for that when I first got saved. You know, we played cassettes back then. <clears throat> And so what we'd do is play cassettes when we were sleeping, thinking that somehow through osmosis it'd get into our brain. Either that or we'd just put the Bible under the pillow and it'd soak through. <laughs> Guess what? It doesn't work. But I'll tell you what does work. When you're struggling even to read it, but you read it anyway. And there comes a point and you need that scripture, and the Holy Spirit is able to bring it to your remembrance. Why? Because you've already read it, because you've already seen it. And so it is with, with somebody that we're believing that they're going to come into the kingdom of God. We believe that every scripture, because it's the Holy Spirit that's wooing them. You know, we always talk about the conviction of the Holy Ghost. No, it's the wooing, the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And so he's the one that brings to their remembrance those things that have heard, they've heard in the past. You know, so what we're doing, we're offering ourselves as a vessel. And then this is something we, we've talked about, but this is, comes into play once again. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse, that we need to realize that we have an adversary, the devil. And in the same way that God wants to expand his kingdom, the devil wants to maintain his. The way that he wants to maintain his kingdom is by keeping all those that are under his lordship, under his lordship. And the number one way that he's able to do that is to keep them from seeing the truth. Because like I said, if we see the beauty, and the beauty of God, the, how wonderful and magnificent God really is, we'll choose him. But notice what it says in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse. And it says, whose minds, so this is the condition that the lost world is in, whose mind the God of this world, the God of this age, is blinded. God, small g, that's talking about the God of this world, Lucifer, Satan, the devil. And he says, the God of this world has blinded their minds Let me start from the beginning again. I'm getting off track. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God should shine on them. Now, I believe Fox News is better than CNN. But let me tell you something. Fox News will not show you the glory of God. Because you're not going to find it in the world. You're going to find it in one place. And what I see with the news media and this world that we live in, it's ultimate end is to blind us from the truth. And one of the ways that we're blinded from the truth is by accepting and buying the lie. And that's the number one tactic of the enemy. We, we see it all around us, trying to, to deceive us, to, to get us to compromise our position, to get us to accept. Now, <clears throat> I don't think we should be mean. And I think oftentimes um, the church, conservatives, have gotten the reputation of being mean. And the reason that we've got the reputation of being mean is because we've been mean. We haven't been, been loving. You know, we can still be loving and stand upon our principles. We don't have to take upon ourselves the tactic of the, of the world of the devil. We can still be loving, but yet hold to the standard that we have in Christ Jesus. And so what the enemy does is he blinds us. And oftentimes, our, the, the biggest culprit against Christendom is Christians. <laughs> Some of you have heard me make this statement before that if I had, you know, some of the Christians that I've known since I've become a Christian, if I'd known them before I became a Christian, I'm not sure I'd be a Christian today. Because they're not very nice. We should be nice. Why should we be nice? Because God is nice. Our Savior is nice. Our loving Father Gave it all for you and me. And so it isn't just the, the devil's blinders. They're there. But it's all this other stuff that we've got to get out of the way to begin to reveal. <clears throat> Most of you have heard this story. Back when I was in, in Bible school, one evening, uh, as, as we came together, he uh, says, we're not going to have classes tonight. We've got some special speakers with us. And uh, there was a woman that had been a lesbian, a man that had been a homosexual, and a man that was uh, transsexual. He had had the surgery. And, uh, and then they had the guy who had led them all to the Lord. And he is the most, what's the word you, about somebody that isn't very impressive? Most un, unimpressive individual. He, in fact, if I remember right, he was a dairy farmer from someplace in the Midwest. And he went to Christ for the nations. And why is it Christ for the nations? He felt a call uh, in, in, in Dallas to go to the gay bars and minister to the folk there. And like I said, he looked like the most least likely. And uh, they had the individual get up and share who, you know, had been a homosexual. And I say that because he has delivered. People say he can't be delivered. Funny, he was delivered. He was engaged to be married to a woman. And he said, you know, for years I'd go to the bars and the Christians would come in and they'd thump their Bibles and they'd say, you're going to hell. He said, my thought was, tell me something I don't know. 
He said, that was the one thing I already knew. I was going to hell. But he says, one day this guy showed up. And he walked into the bar and he didn't raise his voice and just began to talk to us. And he says, I just want you to know one thing. He says, Jesus loves you and so do I. Seems like a line to me. But that's what he said. And he says, you know, now that I didn't know. I may have heard it before, but I didn't know that. And so anyway, to make a long story short, all these individuals got saved and accepted the life that God had created for them. In fact, most of you are too young, but I remember it. There used to be a shoe commercial, it was Buster Brown Shoes. Anybody, of course you would, Dan. The guy was a little boy in the commercials. That when he grew up, he went in that direction. He actually had the surgery, but he said, God created me as a man, I'm now living as a man. And I'm content in it because of who I have as the Lord and Savior. So I said all that to say this, we have an adversary. And he blinds the minds of the unbelieving. And we often think of the, the wickedness of the world as being the blind, the blinders. But you know, sometimes it can just simply be our attitude, how we look upon people. What's our, what's our motivation? Is our motivation to convince them they're wrong? Or is our motivation convince them that there's a loving Savior? Because we don't have to convince them they're wrong. That, that's not our job. That's the, that's the Holy Spirit's job. <clears throat> our job is to do our part as a vessel to do what we can to reveal to them that how much God loved them <clears throat> that he gave his most precious son for them. Boy, we got serious tonight, didn't we? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <clears throat> God needs someone in the physical body to take their authority and release his power saying, I command this demonic blindness and hardened heart to be gone in Jesus' name. Now, when we're praying for the lost, we pray in faith. Amen? But we're not praying the prayer of faith. We're praying the prayer of intercession. You know, <clears throat> Brother Hagen always talked about prayer and he said, you know, that what most people do, they take prayer and they stick it in a bag and they shake it all together and they throw it out and they say, there's prayer. But he says, you know, prayer is like sports. You know, <clears throat> if you're going to play hockey, you don't use a basketball. If you do, you're not playing according to the rules. If you're boxing, you don't use a baseball bat. If you do, you're not playing according to the rules. And he says the same thing is true in prayer. We've got to know, we've got to understand the rules that we're abiding by. Now, faith is always extended to the extent of the known will of God. And so I can pray the prayer of faith in my life and in the area where I carry authority. But you know what? Each and every one of us in our own lives, we have authority. And so I'm not praying, I'm praying in faith. There's a difference. I'm praying in faith, believing that God is hearing me and that he's going to act upon that which I've spoken. But you know what? They still have a free will to choose. 
I, I've heard people teach this. Some, some people won't agree with this. They'll, they'll say that God can override their free will. Well, if he could have done that, he would have done that in the garden. And we wouldn't be in this mess. But he gave man free will to choose. And so we're praying the prayer of intercession. And so that means we, we, we pray in faith, but we continue to pray until we see the manifestation of it. Because that's what intercessory prayer is. You know, I, I think, again, I think we've thrown all prayers together. You know, the church that I grew up in, at the end of every prayer, we prayed, if it be thy will. And that comes from one prayer. That comes from Jesus in the garden. And when Jesus was in the garden, he wasn't praying the prayer of faith. He was praying the prayer of committal. He wasn't even praying the prayer of intercession. Because if we're praying intercession for something, we need to know what the will of God is in this situation. We're praying that in the life of that individual. Jesus in the garden was praying the prayer of committal. And really, for you and I, that's a continuous prayer that we pray in our lives. Jesus was saying, Father, if there be any other way, remove this cross from me. He was saying, Lord, if there's any other way to do this that I don't have to go to that cross, let's do that. But he said, but not my will. Your will be done. You know, I've prayed the prayer of committal now for, well, this will be my 37th year in Jefferson, Iowa. Father, I believe you've called me here to this church. I plan on staying here, but not my will, your will be done. A lot of people have wished God would change his will for me over the last 37 years. But, but that's the prayer of committal. You know, constant, we, we pray that prayer of committal. Father, I believe that you're, 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 you're calling me to do this. You've equipped me to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. But Father, not my will. I want your will to be done in my life. If I'm supposed to do something different, show me. I'm open. I want to do your will. That's the prayer of committal. That's what Jesus was praying. When we're praying for the lost, what do we pray? We pray the prayer of intercession. We know what the will of God is. It's his will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. To come to repentance. That's his will. And so we know what his will is. And so when we begin to pray for an individual, we pray that. And you know what? We may have to be long-suffering. That means no matter what we see in the natural, we're going to continue to pray until we see the manifestation of it. I may go to my grave praying for it, but I'm going to continue to pray for it. They may go to their grave, me praying for it, but I'm going to continue to pray for it. You know, one of the, one of the things I love most about my wife, there's a lot of things I really love about her, <clears throat> But one of the things I love most about her, you may not even know, she's probably shared it with some of you. But you know, when we were first married, um, I didn't, went to church, but I didn't know God, really know him, I knew about him. And she shared this with me, that she didn't even know why, because, you know, Becky grew up knowing Jesus as her Lord and Savior. You know, and she recommitted in a deeper way uh, about the same time that I got born again. But she says she can remember laying in bed every night praying for me 
praying for the Holy Spirit to come to me. And she says, I, I look back on that and she says, I don't, I don't have any idea why I prayed there. I wasn't taught to pray that. I believe she is led by the Holy Spirit to pray that. And why I love that so much about my wife is because I'm here tonight because she prayed that prayer. Well, it probably would have happened anyway. Well, it might have, but it might not have. And so, don't give up. Don't quit. John 20, 23, it says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's not talking about that I can declare over somebody that their sins are forgiven. So that I can claim what God has done in their life. And, and so uh, it's the word that deals with them. So Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for trusting us with the good news the gospel. And Father, we intend to fulfill your plan, your will in each of our lives. And that's to be a, a voice for you. We thank you, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great evening. God bless you.